0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and Leo season continues. It's actually my birthday week. I've had some fun stuff planned. It's been really nice to celebrate, and I love to be able to celebrate with all of you too. So however you got here today, whether it was an audio podcast platform like Apple, Spotify, et cetera, or watching on YouTube, thank you. Subscribe and rate the show if you haven't yet. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. And then there's merch. Click the link in our bio on either of those pages, or go to shop.believe.com to purchase. Three different shirts available for you, covering our bases, safer out. And catch you soon. All right, let's go through today's batting order. First, we'll be covering our bases. I'll give you some news and call outs from around the softball world. Then we'll head into today's interview with Phil Bruder. He is a legendary travel ball coach for over 50 years. He was my coach back in the day. Played for him on the Raiders actually when I was recruited to Stanford. And anyone who's played for him or against him knows that he's he's a character. He's one of a kind, he's an old school kind of guy, no filter pun intended. And you know, he knows everybody, including some of the people that we've actually had on this show. So this is part one. Stay tuned next week for part two. Then we'll end things with the foul tip of the week where we share tips to help us get better. All right, let's get started. Covering our bases. Bet online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. And first, where we're going to start today is the big news around college sports, and that is conference realignment. So many updates, the biggest ones revolving around the Pac 12, which is now currently, as this is being recorded, the Pac 4 with Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State, the remaining members as of right this second. The Big Ten has, as we know, already gained USC and UCLA, but also Oregon and Washington. And the Big 12, I mentioned last week, Colorado is going back, but Utah is going to join them as well as Arizona and Arizona State. I'm going to give some of my thoughts because this could be a series of podcasts, frankly. Uh, it's, I'm going to try to keep it as condensed as possible. But I think what this has done in college sports all, all together, not just for the Pac-12 and some of these other conferences, but for college sports, it's forced us to ask ourselves some questions. I think the reality is this. It's a business decision. It's about money, and it's about TV exposure, specifically. And a lot of these decisions are typically football and basketball. Those are well-known things, and this is a business. You know, to keep afloat and be able to keep sponsoring these sports, that's the area that you have to have. I think the, the struggle that a lot of fans are having is that the tradition that we have long associated with college sports is a bit fractured. You know, it was founded on things like rivalries, regional play, playing against people in your region of the country and amateurism and that kind of school spirit. And I've even heard from friends who have gone pro in other sports, they say the biggest difference between college and pro is that kind of school spirit and that sort of amateur feeling that you have and investment that you have in your team versus when you go pro and you're really trying to make a living, especially in the NFL. So I think some of the questions are, you know, do we still believe in those traditions for college sports? You know, for the rivalries, there are ways to continue. You know, Oregon and Oregon State, for example, right now are not in the same conference anymore. There are ways that they can continue to make sure they schedule every year. The the regions, you know, we already had a little bit of a stretch with certain things. You know, Utah and Colorado being in the mountain region, for example, when they're in a Pacific conference. That's interesting. Even Mizzou being in the SEC, right, they had moved. And they're not exactly on the southeastern part of the country, if you look at a map. So we had already had some things that were a bit of a stretch, but this is really going bi-coastal now at this point. And then it's amateurism. Do we still believe that college athletics should be an amateur experience? Because between the realignments, NIL, transfer portal, all these things, it's really turned into what the professionals experience in their leagues. So the concerns that that I think I have right now are, you know, academic support because these schools going back and forth both ways, are going to miss more school. Students are going to have less time to study and it's already hard. It's already very hard enough as it is to be a student athlete. And then health, really, the mental health piece of it, which, you know, there already are concerns for student athletes as it is. And even physical health in terms of less sleep, time zone changes, things like that. And with recruiting there's a certain element where, okay, there's more money and potentially more opportunities with NIL, et cetera, but also sometimes student-athletes make decisions based on location because of what it means for their families and being able to see them. We've seen some softball student-athletes speak out on this, that they chose their school so that their families could come to their games more easily, but now if they're going across the country, location just means less in that regard. And then, of course, it's also not the greenest plan in terms of all the travel That they're going to be doing you know it's just going to increase significantly and it now feels like the transfer portal in the sense that it's not just athletes moving schools but it's actually schools moving conferences and i think it's going to particularly affect the olympic sports and women's sports so for me those are the things i'm looking at i'm still processing it Obviously, coming from the Pac-12, you know, I played for that conference. I am an ambassador for that conference. I work for that conference currently for the Pac-12 network. You know, it's, it's a bummer, um, and it's a lot of change, and I'm still processing things. Things are also still shaking out, though, and I think the only thing that we know for sure is that this is definitely a new era. So, second... Japan All-Star Series. Uh, think of it as a new era of international talent, actually. So the U.S. women's national team collegiate roster went one and two against Japan. Nine rookies wore the red, white, and blue for the first time. And then there were seven returners who either had done it before with the junior women's national team or the senior team in the past. And I want to give a quick shout out as well to the Believers who were a part of that entire experience. Head coach John Rittman, as well as pitchers Nigeri Kennedy and Elena Voder. Third, I want to talk about pro softball. Athletes Unlimited has had a few cool moments that I definitely want to call out. Megan Faremo, friend of the show, threw a no-hitter, and it's only the second one ever in Athletes Unlimited softball after Kat Osterman, another believer, back in the day a couple seasons ago, and they actually posted a photo of the two of them when Megan was a kid. Uh, She got to meet Kat, and it's just the two of them standing next to each other, and I think that's the kind of stuff that is so fun and makes this sport really special. In addition to that, Gwen Speckis, another friend of the show, threw the first pitch out to her fiance, Taylor Edwards, who was behind the plate. This was for Pride Night, for Athletes Unlimited. The two of them, we talked about this on the show when she was a guest, but they actually met at Athletes Unlimited. So I think to have that sort of representation was pretty cool. Then there's the Little League Softball World Series. So all 60 players from Athletes Unlimited went to North Carolina. That's the home of the Little League Softball World Series. They had a day of interacting with the Little League teams and the players and the young ones, and then they had a day where they actually got to play games, and it was also on ESPN two. Kat Osterman threw the first pitch before the AU Pro Games, and I think the representation that is involved with that and just the involvement at the youth level is huge. So some cool AU moments. For the WPF, the season awards were announced. Smash It Sports Vipers hosted in Oxford, Alabama. And the shout-outs that I want to give are more friends of the show. Coaching staff of the year was the Texas Smoke led by our friend Tori Tyson. And the offensive player of the year was Morgan Howe, who was a guest on this show, ASU alum, a couple seasons ago. She came on when she was actually playing for Athletes Unlimited. Now here she is in the WPF. And then some all-WPF honorees. I wanted to shout-out a few players who I've actually covered in broadcasts. McKenna Smith, who's a Cal alum. She plays for Smash at Sports Vipers. Got an at-large nomination. Silent Rain Espinosa, who plays for USSSA Pride, got an at-large nod. She's from UW. Bailey Klingler as well. Texas Smoke got an at-large nod as well. And so those two from UW and from Cal, I've been able to actually see them play and call them and just get to share their stories. So was really excited to see this success for them. And the championship series is happening now. Playoffs have been going on. Tune in on WProFastPitch.tv. You can also find the full schedule at WProFastPitch.com slash 2023-championships. Then to bring it home, just some updates on the Golden Mike Awards. You know, four believers won during that process. Amanda Scarborough got Best Analyst. Tori Vidalis was part of the Best Studio winners for the SEC tournament performance. And then Gray Robertson was part of Best Team Radio as Alabama got that honor as well. And then the last one was for Utility Player of the Year. I was really grateful to be able to get that honor. And it was for a broadcaster who either covers more than one team or more than one sport. And utility and versatility is really important to me. It was as a player and it is now as a professional. So it meant a lot. And I want to say thank you to all of you for voting and for supporting not just this show, but friends of the show as well. And an old friend of mine, but a new friend of the show is today's guest. Before we started the recording, he talked about how he wanted it to be clear that these are his opinions and his experience. Maybe not everyone else's, but he does have a lot of opinions and thoughts. So with that in mind, let's head into the interview. He is the former longtime leader of the California Raiders organization. He's coached a dozen ASA national champions, over 400 college scholarship winners, more than 130 All-Americans, and multiple Olympians. And he's one of my old travel ball coaches, Phil Bruder. Phil, I can't tell you how excited I am that we're reconnecting in this way. Thank you for doing this. It's
0: my pleasure. It's great to see you. I haven't seen you for ages, so it really is nice to be able to talk to you and see you.
1: Yeah, this this show has been a good excuse to reconnect with people, too, because it's um, it has been a while. I think I was not to age myself or to age you, but half the age I am now when I played for you, so... It's been that's, a a little,
0: that's a little scary.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. But for everybody who's listening and watching, I kind of want them to understand just how long you've been in softball. So can you kind of lay that out? How long has it been that you've been a part of this game?
0: I'd like to say a five years, but that would be a lie. So uh, <laughs> I'm in my 53rd year of coaching. I started when I was five. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But it is my fifty third year of coaching girls softball.
1: That's incredible. That's really like I am trying to let that sink in because there are so many different eras of softball that have happened during that time.
0: Well, I was one of the people that started ASA. In other words, in nineteen seventy four, there was um, women's ASA. And there was slow pitch ASA, but there was nothing that was from 18 years old on down. So, um, I helped start that in 1974 and that was the first, um, national tournament that was held, um, for girls that were under the age of 18.
1: That's pretty cool. And then I actually played ASA with you later on, and ASA still exists today.
0: They have ASA, they have PGF, they have Triple Crown, they have all these different letters, they have, uh, quite honestly, and, and this is from an old timer, it was much better when they only had one name, ASA. And if you wanted to play softball and you wanted to be the best, you played ASA.
1: It was very straightforward
0: mm-hmm. back then.
1: Yes, that's that's always the nationals that we were trying to qualify for was ASA.
0: That's correct.
1: Yes, and that is the time when I got to play in Oklahoma City too. Was was with the Raiders um, before going to college, and then seeing what it's turned into today with the World Series and everything is pretty crazy.
0: It is. And, um, uh, the funny part is, uh, I'm now with an organization called the rock and they were, they were the na- they are the, uh, 2023 PGF national champions, and they were on ESPN. So now everybody's calling for tryouts for next week because everybody saw uh, the Rock win the national title. So um, it is crazy because of ESPN, because of all the publicity, because of college softball, which never happened way back when. Uh, but now it's just taken off and it's everywhere.
1: I think it's awesome that you're still in the travel ball world because I remember, I wonder if you say some of the same things that you used to say to us all the time, because I know that it started way before me. You kept saying them to us. And I, I'm curious if you still say them now, like one of them, I always think of you when somebody can't lay down a bunt because you used to always say nothing good happens when you can't bunt.
0: And I see I say that all the time. And never anything good happens when you can't lay down the bunt. Uh, I I say the same things in a more delicate manner, uh, if you can understand. In the 70s and the 80s, um, not that I ever used bad language, not that I ever put my hands on any um, player, but I spoke to them in a harsher tone and they understood, and they weren't crying. And they went out and did exactly what I needed them to do. And that's why uh, that's why we were the best for so many years. Today, you almost look at them cross-eyed and they want to cry. So I'm very soft on my kids today. I don't yell and scream at them because they can't handle it. Uh, and... You know, I now live in Florida, so it's not, well, that's just California because I moved to Texas for a year. I'm now in Florida and it's all the same. All the young ladies are the same. They're just, um, they're not as strong mentally in softball as they once were. Maybe it's the, they're just not as tough. I, I'm not sure.
1: I remember when I played for you, you would yell compliments and criticism in the same tone, like everything was the same tone. So you had to pay attention to what you were saying, not just how you were saying it, because you know, it could get lost if you're only listening to your tone.
0: And you know, every player that I've had in the past, and, and a lot of the... All-Americans, the Michelle Grangers, the the best players in the world that I would bring in and talk to that given team would say the same thing. They would say, listen to what he says, not how he says it. Because quite honestly, in those days, and even, even up to 10 years ago, uh, it would get lost if they listened to how I said it. If they got offended on... Me speaking to them in a louder voice and just believing that well, he's too tough on me or he's yelling at me. And I always tell uh, young ladies, if I didn't like you, you wouldn't play for me. You know, it's not that, well, he hates me. He doesn't like me. He's yelling at me. And then I say, if I stop talking to you, that means I don't care. That means you're lost. You know, and that hardly ever happens. You know, it's just that um, I'm a different coach today than I was. And they say, well, you're older. And and I don't believe that's, I haven't lost my mind. I haven't changed my attitude. I haven't wanted to get kids to college any less today than I did before. I just have to speak to them in a more, you uh, polite way than I did in the past.
1: Well, I found it entertaining at times, even when you were yelling at at me because, well, I remember one time, this wasn't me, thank goodness, but um, one of the funniest memories I have of something that you said was when we had a girl playing up with us and I think she went into pinch run and you had her steal second base and she was safe by a mile, but somehow she overran it. Like she didn't slide or anything. She overran it. And she got tagged out and it was just kind of a bonehead, you know, situation. And as she was running back to the dugout and we're all getting ready to go on defense, you told her next time I ask you to run, you tell me no, you understand. (laughs) And I remember the entire dugout laughing (laughs) when you said that.
0: I'm not sure that that wasn't um, my fiance's daughter (laughs) who, who I've been with for almost 18 years. Uh, Diane is the love of my life. And her her daughter was Sarah Patrick. And she did overrun the bag. And I did say that. And she, <laughs> she's now, uh, she just graduated from University of Penn. And uh, she's now a doctor of psychology.
1: Oh, so, that's awesome. So
0: she, uh, <laughs> She uh, psychoanalyzes psycho
1: me. <laughs> now I know why your coaching style has changed. That's why. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I played with Sarah a little bit. I think we overlapped on the Raiders, and I remember her being interested in Penn. I remember Penn watching her. I think she made like an outstanding diving catch in the outfield at one point while they were watching, and... So I kind of got to see her be recruited almost, which was kind of cool. That was one of the things I loved about seeing teammates, too, on the Raiders.
0: You are, in, you are amazing that you would remember that. Because if I'm not mistaken, we were in Colorado, and a lot of the girls had food poisoning. And so they were semi-sick. And she's playing, and you have the whole bottom row of nothing but Ivy League coaches and so um, she made a catch, a diving catch, and went over the fence. Yep. And when she came back, and I said, well, that's a really nice catch. And um, so I looked at the front row, and I said, is there anything you, else you want to see? Yeah, we want to see her hit. And that was Jenny Allard from Harvard, and that was Leslie King from Penn, and that was Yale, and that was Princeton, and they were all there. Because I didn't have a lot of people that had 4.7 grade point averages. And quite honestly, every player I had could have played at any college because they were just great players. And um, so now there's first and second, and we're down by two runs in the last inning with two outs. And here comes Sarah Patrick. And she comes up to bat, and I call timeout. So I bring her over and I, uh, I grabbed her mask and I said, turn and look at that front row. There's every Ivy League coach in the country sitting there watching you. Now, if you hit a home run, you'll have your choice to any school you want in America because all you want to do is go to the Ivy League and they're all there. And she hit the ball out. And when the ball hit the bat, I just turned and looked at the stands in the front row and said, is there something else you want to see? And they, they, all, and they all said, no, she's our number one choice. She's our number one choice. And she ended up at 10. So it was, it was amazing. You don't always get uh, on demand. But I tell girls all the time now, when I'm talking to a college coach, If you hit the ball over the fence, you're going to college for free. They don't quite understand that, uh, but it happens. And I've had kids that hit the ball over the fence while while they're recruiting at a recruiting tournament, and they're going to college.
1: Yeah. I remember, I don't remember if it was after the home run or after the catch, but at one of those points, I think I remember Sarah saying, like, heck yes, Penn, because she knew (laughs) – that she, you know, probably had an opportunity after mm-hmm. that because that was, that was a really cool game. See, those are the types of stories that I start to remember of all my teammates, too. And I remember you telling me, like, um, with Stanford, for example, that, like, you know, you have to have the grades. You have to do this. You have to do that. And you were always really good about you would tell us, I'll get them there. I'll get the college coaches there. Then it's up to you once they're there to perform.
0: And that's I still say that, and okay. it, the the twelve ASA national titles are nowhere near as important to me as the four hundred girls I got to college. I mean, they don't have they pay very little, and you have um, you have podcast hosts, you have doctors, I have lawyers, I have uh, um, I have the captain of the SWAT team in central L.A. that played for me. A woman. I have the captain of uh, Culver City's fire department. I mean, it was so enjoyable to coach in those days because the kids, most of the time, I call them kids, played like robots. They did exactly as I wanted them to do and succeeded. They were all terrific. It's not like that today. You ask them to do something and they really honestly can't quite get it done. I don't know whether it's they have so many other things on their mind today than they did in the past because there's so many other things to do today. Like, uh, you know, like there was not the computers, there was not the cell phone in the 70s. There was not. So they would go to school. There wasn't hardly any malls. They would go to school, they would practice softball, and that's on their mind. Now they have a million things on their mind, and that's okay, that's society. That's, uh, you know, a lot of that is really good. Uh, It's just not good from a coaching standpoint, because there's so many other things that they can uh, can do.
1: Hmm. You were always all about consistency. And very superstitious, too, I remember. Still am. Yes, because we couldn't cross the bats in the dugout. I remember that.
0: Still do. (laughs) Can't can't step on the white line when you cross over. Uh, But the bats, uh, quick story, Um, the girl that we were playing against hit a home run. And I looked down there, and I saw the bats are crossed. And I got really upset. And they looked at me, and they uncrossed the bats, and we ended up winning the game. But, yeah, I'm still extremely superstitious.
1: That's part of our game, though. And this is when, like, we didn't always have, you know, the bat holders and things like this in the dugout, so we'd just lean it up against the fence. And, yeah, you didn't want anything to cross. Everything had to be parallel. I remember we also had to, the parents in the cars, from the hotel to the field, we had to leave in the same order, each time for game day. We couldn't change the order of the cars. uh, If we were winning, that is.
0: And I love that. The problem with today is they all stay in different hotels.
1: Mm. They
0: stay in the same place. They stay because of the finances. They stay where they can get the best deal. And I don't have a problem with that. What I would like to do is uh, i would like it like it was in the past where they all stayed in the same place the camaraderie they all went in the same line as long as we're winning and we won most of the time so they all stayed in the same line there's not all the same camaraderie today as there was in the past because there's so many other things to do the um the financial problems of, of the majority of our country Uh, they They can't all afford to stay in the same place.
1: That's something I've wondered about in travel ball today in general versus not just when I played, but even before me, which is it seems like it's less and less of an experience where you get to really compete with your team where it's super, super team oriented. It seems a little bit more. Um, Spread out, like you're saying, like maybe people stay at different places and they have their reasons, but then when you get to college and you're in the trenches with your team at the World Series or you're in extra innings or whatever it is, there's like a little bit less, it seems, of that like experience at the travel ball level now.
0: That's exactly correct. You have teams like the Bat Busters and you have teams like um, uh, the Firecrackers Okay, they have over 200 teams around the country that are named Backbusters and Firecrackers. And when you go to the national tournament, these super teams pick other players. And they take away from, we'll say, a girl that started for you all year, but because she's not as good as someone from Alabama that they're bringing in, she sits on the bench now. I don't like that at all. I never did that. I don't like that. It's become very um, money conscious where it wasn't in the past. In the past, uh, especially in the 70s and 80s, you had a district. In other words, you could only play for Southern California, which was as far as Lompoc or as far as Bakersfield or Riverside. And uh, and if you're in uh, Stockton you couldn't play for Southern California, you had to play for Northern California. So you had a designated area and it was so wonderful then. It really was great. And now they they got them coming from all over the country.
1: Well, with that being said, that makes me think of at the college level, the transfer portal where people are moving around a lot. What are your thoughts on that today?
0: That's terrible. And the reason it's terrible is if you're Patty Gasel at Oklahoma, you get the best players in the country. Uh, not that Patty's not an exceptional coach. She is. She's a wonderful coach and a wonderful person. And I know Patty real well. And uh, But I don't believe, like, for instance, what would happen to Stanford if they lost their young ace and she decided... That uh she will go to Oklahoma because she wants to win the World Series. Okay, which would be such a tragedy because, in my opinion, if you get a d- degree, and I'm not saying this just because you went to Stanford, but if she's gonna transfer to Oklahoma and leave Stanford, that's a huge mistake because you have four years of softball and then you're done. So would you rather have a degree, no offense to Oklahoma? But would you rather have a degree from Oklahoma or Stanford? And everyone would answer Stanford. I don't like the portal because the rich get richer. So if you have your ace, for instance, Michigan had their ace and she transferred to Oklahoma. Now, Michigan was no good. Uh, They just didn't do well. You also now this year have Oklahoma State's ace that now left Oklahoma State and is now going to Oklahoma. And you have the ace of Oklahoma, which this never happens, is now going to Nebraska because that's her home state. And I don't blame her. She wants to go home. She's won the World Series, and I want to go home. I don't have a real problem with that. The other, the problems I have is you're transferring to school because all you want to do is be on ESPN and you want to win. And that's the only reason you're transferring. You're not transferring because they don't have Spanish at your school and they have Spanish at Oklahoma. So for those reasons, um, the rich get richer. Uh, And I really don't, um, I don't like it. Same in football. It hasn't changed. They transfer, the quarterbacks transfer all over the place.
1: Yeah, it feels more like professional.
0: Um... Exactly. What I do like is that your student athlete is finally getting paid. Now, I understand, you know, the the, uh, the drawback to that is that, well, they get a scholarship. These football players get 100%. So they're getting 50000 a year to go to school for room, board, books, and tuition. So they're getting almost a quarter of a million dollars of education. And, and I can't argue that point. But what I will say is that the school is making millions, give some to the student athlete, because that's why they're making millions. You never could allow a student athlete to, to make any money when someone buys their Jersey. You have that now and uh, it's all over the place. I mean, these people like uh, the gymnast from LSU, she's a millionaire. Uh, Just by going to college, she's a millionaire. Yeah. Uh, You know, that's um, this pros and cons. That's just my ideas. I don't sit there and, uh, and read up on these things. I just have opinions. Yeah.
1: Do you think the rich can get richer too through like name image likeness and paying players? If it goes like Jersey sales and things like that, that's one thing. But if you pay players to play, do you think that turns into rich getting richer too?
0: I would totally 100% disagree with that because you're an amateur. And so now you're getting paid to succeed. That almost reminds me of someone that's saying i'm gonna give you fifty thousand dollars and make sure your team doesn't win by seven points okay so that now you're into possibly fixing games and they're they're just yesterday i just read that they're uh, accusing a quarterback of fixing games so he could make more money That probably is another reason, not that, but the portal, you can make more money if you're at, we'll we'll say football. If you're at SC or you're at Alabama, you're going to make more money than if you're at Cal State LA. And I use Cal State LA because that's where I graduated from and they don't even have football. But, you know, when you're, in the limelight, when you're in public, they're going to... And you you have, like at Michigan, you have 100,000 people going to the games. Well, out of 100,000 people, you probably have 20,000 people wearing number seven, which is the quarterback. So now he's making money from that. That's all right. But to pay a player from the outside somewhere... I don't agree with that. And some people may say, well, that's the same. And and I don't think it's the same.
1: That's interesting because something that uh, I feel like is coming up as a theme is you were saying you're you're very competitive. I think anyone who's either played for you or played against you or has even heard of you probably (laughs) knows that. But you've made it clear, for example, that you're much prouder of the scholarships you've gotten for athletes than even the, the ASA championships. And right now you're talking about the student athlete being able to earn from things like jersey sales and, you know, and getting that type of opportunity. So it's funny because, you know, we're joking earlier about being you being hard on players and you yelling at us and things like that. But um, what you're talking about is a lot is how you care about the players. So it's just something to I don't know. I think it's interesting.
0: And that's why I coach because I do care about the players. And there are times where I have told them if I didn't like you, I wouldn't have you play for me. I don't care who you are. So, you know, there's times I may, uh, scold a player for doing something and she'll go to another player and say, he hates me, you know? And so then I have to address that and explain, I don't hate anybody on this team. If I hated." you know, life's too short. They wouldn't play for me. I don't make that kind of money, where I don't, I don't hardly make any money from coaching. But the one of the reasons that I enjoyed the 70s, 80s and 90s, it was pure. There wasn't money involved. The best teams won, the best areas won, the best coaches won. And there were some sensational coaches. I mean, you know, uh, I think, again, this is a biased opinion, but I've done it long enough. The coaching in the past was far superior than the coaching of today. Uh, and maybe that's why I feel the players of the past were better than the players of today. Now, one of the reasons the balls go further today is the ball's harder. Today, It's made differently. The bats are made differently. They're much better made than they were in the past. But you look at people like Gary Hanning from the Bat Busters or Larry Mays from the Panthers and people of today might not know those names, but they were as good of coaches as anybody in the country. And, um, and you had to be at your game. You know, unfortunately, uh, Gary Fawcett was another one, and he passed away. Which is, he was a very good friend of mine, and one of the reasons that uh, uh, that The Rock called me and said we'd like to be have you be in our program. He says because I've got he had two he has two girls that are going to Clemson. Well, Clemson's the head coach, his wife is Lori Fawcett, who played for me in the middle eighties. So he calls me and he goes, how could you coach Lori Fawcett? You are old, (laughs) you know? He says, "When, when I talk to the head coach at Clemson and he says that Phil Bruder's gonna come to the Rock, are you lucky? Because my wife played for him and, uh, and then he said, and Lori's sons have already graduated from UCLA. So how long ago did you coach, coach Lori? And I said, it's been a while. So um, I just, um, I'm coaching today um, because I want the kids to still have that same opportunity to go to college. I'm also um, still teaching hitting. And I teach in uh, where I live and um, it's Volusia Sports Center. Anybody that lives in uh, the middle of Florida, uh, it's a brand new facility. And they called me and said, come teach hitting. You know, we just moved to Ormond Beach and uh, that's where the facility is uh, built up, is built. And it's the only facility in the area. So um, they don't know Phil Bruder. They don't know who I am. Uh, now, a few kids are starting to know because <laughs> fortunately, the computers and things like that. And uh, so I'm starting to get uh, individual people that I'm teaching hitting to. And, uh, and they don't... How do I say this nicely? Everybody explains let the ball travel, let Mm. the ball get to the plate. And every kid I've worked with probably 100 kids in Florida and they all tell me the same thing as opposed to hit the ball out in front. They want the ball to get to the plate. They have their bats wrapped around their head. And so they go way around and they're late. And so when I change them, all of a sudden their parents go, wow, Look how far uh, my daughter's hitting the ball now. Well, she's hitting it out in front. You know, so again, that's coaching. And there are some exceptional coaches. It's just the hitting coaches seem, oh, I don't know, not to understand where you're supposed to hit the ball, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, so that's, that's something I wanted to ask. When you say coaches were better How? Do you mean they were better at coaching the mental game? They were better at development? Like what made them elite?
0: You have coaches in the past that will say, watch the ball into your mitt. Watch the ball out of your mitt. They don't teach that today. I can't tell you how many kids go to catch the ball, look at where they're going to throw it, and it comes out of their mitt. That means they're not concentrating on the ball. They're not teaching that. They don't teach the fundamentals. When when I mention people like uh, Gary Hanning or Larry Mays or Bob Ragpala from the Running Rebels, they understand hit the ball out in front. They understand where to make contact. They understand when you're supposed to bunt, when you're supposed to steal. I'm playing. I'm coaching an 18-under team, and I'm playing against people, and I almost laugh. <laughs> because they're down by four runs and they're stealing second how can you steal second what good does that run mean and all these coaches are doing that and i just don't say anything and i just laugh to myself and say the coach now and people like the coaches that i just mentioned they would never do that they play the game by the book they they teach fundamentals I'm not sure, and I don't go from team to team, but I'm not sure the fundamentals are taught the same today as they were years and years ago. That's why I think the coaching was better years and years ago, because they really um, look at the uh, uh, particulars what you really have to do. I've seen in college softball miss pop flies because they didn't see the ball. I watched UCLA's infielder, uh, who I worked with in hitting only, miss a pop fly that's right to her, you know, that that your 12-year-olds better catch And because she didn't see the ball. I've seen girls that uh, don't watch the ball in and out of their midst, so they juggle the ball and they drop it that's coaching you know you don't see oklahoma do that they don't use yeah. balls that are right to them even though i haven't talked to patty Gasso about coaching philosophy she's doing it right now she has great talent but great talent doesn't always win if you don't have great coaching so yeah. there are a number of great coaches collegiately there are a few great coaches uh, in travel ball. And most of those great coaches have been coaching for 30 and 40 years. You have too many fathers and mothers that are coaching travel ball today. So their daughter can play shortstop or her daughter or their daughter can pitch. And that's why they're coaching. Well, they don't know as much about softball, but they know where to put their daughter for the best results, whether she's the best player for that position or not. That's why I always tell kids, if you're a shortstop, don't go to a team that the head coach's daughter plays shortstop because you're not going to play shortstop. Things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I think that one of the biggest things that I learned while playing for you was how to be smarter in the game and how to take care of the ball. So the see it in, see it out, we, that was all the time we talked about that, for example. Um, but even things like just being smart about, about the game, get the lead runner in certain situations, understanding what's going on, like not just kind of reacting to everything, but also thinking through like what's happening in this situation. And I remember as a shortstop, you helping with that a lot on the mental side.
0: And, uh, uh, I'm talking to the wrong person because, because yes, you made very few mistakes. Everybody makes a physical mistake. Everybody strikes out. All right. But you made very few mental mistakes. Not like today. They make mental mistakes all the time. And, uh, it's not that they don't have any talent. It's just, I think they have too much on their mind. And, um, and I think that you would strive for perfection. Nobody's perfect, but you would try to be as perfect as you possibly could be. And when you made a mistake, your, your parent would walk up and down the stand, a sideline. <laughs> they would be upset. And that would tell me that they want the best for their daughter. You know, it's not that they want the best for them. It's, not quite that way today. Um, and I think that um, it goes back to, and again, this is just a, um, my point of view. I think young ladies uh, that I've worked with were raised differently way back when. I think they were raised because there was so many fewer things to do than today. There was fewer drugs. There was, um, you know, it's just, I think that um, the scruples and the morals were uh, a little different way back when than today. And that's unfortunate. And I will be scolded for making that comment, but that's just my opinion. Uh, Now saying that you have wonderful young ladies today, that, uh, that work very hard. You just don't have enough of them. You know, I, I believe that everybody we played against were, wanted to win and wanted to be perfect and wanted to play very hard. Um, I had a girl last week that doesn't play for me anymore that went to another girl and said, would you please ask the coach if I can come out? This is the semifinals of a tournament. And uh, so she came to me and said, uh, this young lady wants to come out of the game. And I said, why does she want to come out of the game? Because she's tired. I said, is she hurt? No, she's just tired. And I said, no, she's not coming out of the game because she's tired. That's today. And that was one of my best players. So uh, no one would ever in the past say, Coach, can I come out of the game? I'm tired. They don't want to come out of the game if they're hurt. I got to yank them out of the game because they're hurt. So that also is a different mindset of uh, today's uh, student athlete. And I'm only talking about the kids I've worked with. I'm not talking about, we'll say, Oklahoma's players or Alabama's players, or Florida's players, or your top players in the country. I don't coach those kids anymore. Um, Where I did coach the best players in the world, the best players in the country that went to whatever college they wanted to go to.
1: You've mentioned a few people that have played for you, like Michelle Granger, Lori Harrigan, so that... Everyone understands too. Who are some others that are good examples of who you coached?
0: Okay. The pitchers that I coached. Okay. Now, pitching, still the name of the game. But pitchers that I coached, besides Michelle Granger, there was Heather Compton. There was Lisa Longacre. In the 70s, there was Jan Jeffers. There was Pam Titchner. There was Tiffany Boyd. There was Samantha Ford. I coached the best pitchers. That's one of the reasons we win. You know, we won eight out of nine straight national titles in the 80s. That's unheard of. But I had wonderful talent. And today you can pitch um, oh maybe two games in a tournament and you're exhausted. Then you had an ace and you had a number two. And the ace threw as long as she wanted to throw. And that was all the time. When you looked at UCLA's national championships, where I believe, and I could be incorrect, when I believe they won five or six in a row, the good girl-
1: they, they won three in a row, but then I think they had a gap, and then they might have won two in a row after that. But
0: I'm talking about years ago. Yeah. Okay, so I think they won a lot in a row, regardless the girl that threw the pitch, the final game of that national championship game, either four or five years, was my pitcher. So that'll tell you that, I mean, I had every team in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s had a great pitcher. And the games were not 17 to 12. They were one nothing, They were 2-1. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons is there were many, many fewer teams than they have now. Okay, so – but everybody then had a wonderful pitcher. And um, and you had to be razor sharp. That's why if you were not a good coach, you got humiliated uh, because they just took advantage of you. And the coaches that I named, you know, and I had players in – and um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna miss hundreds of names, but you know some of the players like Lovey Chung, she was the Olympic second baseman. I worked with her on hitting. You looked at um, Sheila Cornell, she was the Olympic first baseman, UCLA's All-American. I had uh, Stacy Sunny, she was the All-Decade catcher of the '80s for UCLA. Um, I had Laura Espinoza. She was a record holder from Arizona. I had um, Liz Mazzara, She was a record holder from Texas A&M. I had Michelle McEnany, a three-time All-American from Cal State Northridge. That I don't know if she's five foot tall, and she was one of the best defensive infielders I've ever seen. And uh, I mean, I can go on and on. I can I can give you hundreds of names, uh, also JB, which was a wonderful shortstop. <laughs> and, uh, but these are, these are great, great players physically and mentally and listened to everything I asked them to do and did it. I mean, they were just – it wasn't just I won because, oh, Phil Bruder, he's so good. It's not like that. He says, I said, I had other coaches that were on my level. I just had wonderful, wonderful student athletes. They were just, uh, they were great. And one of the problems, if I can say this, I had about, oh, in the last 20 years, I had like seven assistant coaches. They all passed away in the last year and uh so now i get calls from laura espinoza who's got to be in her 50s somewhere and michelle and um michi mcenany who who played for me in the early 80s uh coach you all right coach you feeling okay i said will you leave me alone call and say hello i'm feeling (laughs) fine I love Florida. I can wear shorts all the time, every day, but they're concerned because they hear of people that have passed. Why I haven't, what I I tell everyone is because God has me, uh, he doesn't want to take me yet because I have more work to do about getting kids to college And, and I'm still here.
1: You are, you're still going. I do remember you uh, loving the beach. So California, Florida makes sense that you've uh, kind of lived in those places
0: too. We, we live in an amazing area in uh, Ormond Beach and uh, Diane has made this house unbelievable. But the best thing is that I can drive down I-40 for 10 minutes and park on the sand open up my trunk of the car and take the chair out, sit on the sand, and I'm 10 feet away from the ocean. How, how unbelievable is that? So, yeah, I do love the ocean, and I do love the beach, and and I love to coach and teach hitting. That's just yeah. – that's a passion of mine.
1: Yeah. One of the players you mentioned, I have to go back to Laurie Fawcett, Rittman, uh, because – you mentioned Coach Ritman is now at Clemson. He was obviously at Stanford when I was there, when I was getting recruited. Um, so I know them very well. And he actually came on the show uh, last year, too. So that was pretty fun to have him on. But um, I don't know if you remember this, but this must have been, I was already being recruited by Stanford. Um, so this must have been like 2007, maybe, something like that. But Coach Rittman had come up to you at a tournament and asked, I'd like to see Jenna Becerra pitch. And you were like, who? (laughs) And he was like, Jenna Becerra. And you're like, oh, you mean JB. Okay, yeah, JB can pitch. And I still to this day will tell that story sometimes because the JB thing started on the Raiders. That was my nickname. But it lasted all through college. Even to this day, my teammates from college and from the Raiders, you know, anyone – growing up and stuff will call me JB. My parents actually gave me this necklace. Not sure how well you can see I it on see the it video. very well.
0: That's yeah. I uh, really couldn't remember your name. So JB yeah. was real easy.
1: JB was easy. Yeah. And um, so then, yeah, they got me this JB necklace as my uh, graduation gift from high school. And it has my number from college and on the Raiders too, actually it was number one. But that started on the Raiders and it lasted
0: for a while. Those are wonderful stories, believe me. That's uh, that's another reason that I coach the memories. I have all the memories. Uh, I know I've shortchanged hundreds of young ladies that have been all Americans, and I couldn't name everybody. And it wasn't that that I named any of my favorites, you know. But I also have a daughter, Kelsey Bruder, that was uh, is now in the Hall of Fame at the University of Florida. And so when I'm teaching hitting, they go, well, you only only teach girls. I said, no, I teach boys. They said, well, who have you taught? Well, I taught Cody Bruder. He's the All-American outfielder for the University of Michigan. Wait, you have a daughter and you have a son. that are both All-Americans in the same sport. I said, yeah, and I teach them the same way of hitting. So it's not whether you're a girl or you're a boy uh, the difference is you must be much quicker if you're a girl because the pitching mound is much closer than a guy. But um, it's still fun. It's still enjoyable.
1: It's been a long time since I connected with Phil. And in a lot of ways, he's still the same. But at the same time, like all of us, you know, he's in a new era of softball right now. And whether you agree or disagree with him, it's it's not that often that we get to hear from somebody who has been there through all the eras of softball as we know it today. And there's a lot more coming in part two next week. So with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about no frills. (laughs) That is one way to describe Phil. He doesn't do frills. He's very direct. He's to the point, doesn't sugarcoat, and love it or hate it, he's very clear. And while Phil might be a little bit more of an extreme example, I think what we can take away is the idea that what you see is what you get. And I was thinking about this concept, and it made me think about what having no frills means to me, because honesty and authenticity are very important to me. You know, love it or hate it, whatever it is that you're getting, at least you know what it really is in that situation. There's a certain bravery and vulnerability with being your real self. At the same time, just because a person is honest and authentic doesn't mean that, you know, I automatically want to build a relationship with them. I might not agree with what they do and what they value. But I do have some respect for them, because it puts me in a position, at least, to make informed decisions. And when you take away the frills, you can also take away the distractions and just get to the heart of the matter. With all the distractions in today's society, sometimes simplifying is the best thing that we can do, especially if you're a detailed overanalyzer like me. So to be clear, being constructive and thoughtful is also very important. You don't have to be cruel or disrespectful to still keep it real. But I think keeping it real can be actually one of the kindest things that you can do for someone that they can do for you or that you can do for yourself. One of my old bosses was really good at helping you be real with yourself. When you're trying to figure out what you really want to do, he knows how to ask the tough questions. Like if you try to start explaining or justifying or going on a tangent, he reels you back in. He pushes back if you add any of those frills. And that's what has helped me, at least, with my personality. And it's just something to consider if you think it could help you too. So that's it. No frills. That's the foul tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, part of Believe Network, and presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, wherever you listen, including Believe.com and YouTube, too. Subscribe to the show, rate the show, and if you liked it, write a review for it. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. You can reach out to me personally on Twitter at Jenna 01 and Instagram at Jenna Becerra, as well. As always, thank you for tuning in and catch you soon.